0: Every week on our website, DK Pittsburgh Sports, for a long, long time I've been doing a feature called Friday Insider. And in the one that's running this morning, I break the not at all very big news that... Your favorite hockey team is being very, very, very patient when it comes to Eric Carlson. Let's discuss this. Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and or baseball, I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates in the same place that you found this. Carlson, of course, remains on the market. Carlson, of course, continues to be attached to two teams and only two teams, regardless of where the reports emanate, and I'm talking about legitimate reports, and those, of course, are the Hurricanes and your Penguins, and I can't stress this strongly enough. There's so little information emanating from the Pittsburgh side that I can advise you strongly not to take seriously literally anything that claims to be coming from that side. Kyle Dubas might not be the world's greatest executive, but he's already off to a soaring start when it comes to secrecy. The only stuff that seems to make its way out is from San Jose, where and this is logical, Mike Greer would love to establish some sort of market for Carlson, meaning not just two teams, and not just two teams that are run by intelligent people who know that this isn't a market, and this isn't really even a horse race. This is, wait, 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 this price is coming down. If you look at this from the Sharks side, this actually makes way more sense. Greer's in a spot where his 102-point Norris Trophy-winning defenseman does not want to be there anymore. He's put in his time with the Sharks. The Sharks were terrible. The Sharks then traded Timo Meyer and signaled to everybody that they're starting over. So they have as much use for a 102-point Norris Trophy-winning defenseman who's 34 years old and takes up $11.5 million of their cap space as, well, you know, a hole in the head. I mean, he makes them more respectable on a nightly basis, but that's not going to get you anywhere. What the Sharks need, and I mean need, are younger players, prospects, and draft picks. Not even necessarily in any particular order. They need assets so that they can add younger talent to their system and try to pull, oh, you know, a New Jersey as long as we're going to bring up Meyer. The Devils didn't take all that long. It might seem like it because they haven't been competitive or contending, but they didn't really make up their collective mind to go that route until fairly recently. And, you know, it helps. You get Jack Hughes, you know, some things go your way, make some smart free agent signings, which they really did. Make a good trade with Ron Hextall, <laughs> you know, <laughs> get John Marino for Ty Smith. But that's what the Sharks are looking to do. And they're not going to do that with Carlson just sitting there getting older and the asset getting further depreciated. Carlson's probably not going to put up 102 points this coming season if he stays with the Sharks, for example. So Greer sees this, but at the same time, Dubas sees it. Don Waddell and Raleigh sees it. And look, nobody can claim to know what's all being offered, what's all being discussed. I know there are people in the business who'd love to do that and they'll say, I believe, and they'll use words like believe and think and even openly use a word like speculate, but they don't have this information and neither do I. However, what I'm going to do here is to try to throw your way what I think would be a fair scenario from the Penguins' viewpoint, which is the only one that will matter to people listening to this show, and say, okay, you've got a guy that's $11.5 of a cap hit. Our top priority as an organization is moving out some guys who are cap hits and clearing our space, not just for this year, but also for years to come, just like yours is with Carlson. So we offer you Jeff Petrie, second highest paid player on the team. Did you know that behind Sid? Yeah, for real. Here's Petrie. Here's Mikhail Grandlin so we don't have to buy him out. We can just eliminate his full cap hit this year and next. We're still going to need a little help on the later years in Carlson's contract. And because you're sending us a far greater hockey return with all due respect to Petrie, because he can go there and be that guy for the Sharks, meaning... Right handed defenseman who can be your number one or whatever. And he's not going to embarrass you. He's not going to hurt you. He's not going to put up 102 points for you either. But we're going to, we're going to do that. We're also going to give you. Well, we don't have prospects. I'm sorry. (laughs) Mike, are you still there? Mike? Oh, okay, cool. Thought you hung up there for a second, Mike. We don't have any prospects. Uh, If we agreed to send you prospects, you wouldn't want any of them, okay? So, let's look instead at draft picks. I don't want to give up a first-rounder because, look, I think I'm going to be employed in Pittsburgh for a long time. I being Kyle Dubas, by the way, in case you've lost track of this mythical conversation. And I... I'd really rather not just continue the lineage that's been put in place around here where everybody just punts on first round picks. You know we need more prospects like Braden Jaeger in our system not le- oh, Braden Jaeger. no no no, you'd hate him too. Don't worry about Jaeger. we're not giving you Jaeger. listen, listen, Mike, we'll get you some second round picks, okay? We've never traditionally hit on second rounders anyway. But I didn't say that either. We'll, we'll get you some second round picks and we'll talk about the cash components and the and the cap hits in the later years for Carlson and Petrie and see how those things work out. But what do you think? Do we have something here? At which point Mike says he's got Waddell on the other line. That's where that's where I can see this being right now. When we come back, J1Q. Today's J1Q comes from TJ, who says, DK, since you brought up the name on Thursday's show, I seem to recall all the armchair GMs complaining about Brandon Tanev's contract. At the time the Penguins picked him up, wouldn't we all love to have Tanev at $3.5 per year right now? My answer to that, TJ, is that the next time I'm wrong about Tanev will be the first. Now, I, I do get things wrong, okay? I'm just talking about Tanev. And if you go back to when the Penguins picked him up, Jim Rutherford picked him up as a free agent from the Jets. And the fans in Winnipeg were really, really displeased with losing him, even at that price, even at the annual 3.5 over an extended period. And you're right. The armchair GMs that you're referring to is predominantly hockey's advanced analytics community, which is, How do I put this without unnecessarily ticking off too many people? That community is based on an analytics set that doesn't have anywhere near enough data to speak with the certainty that they do. Baseball has data. Football increasingly has data. Hockey has shots on goal or attempted shots on goal, or missed shots on goal, or blocked shots on goal. But it doesn't have anywhere near the tracking that's available in the other major sports. You can thank Gary Bettman for that, another subject, for another day. And what ended up happening when the analytics community began to feel a little bit emboldened it reached the stage where every player who hits somebody is seen as a detriment. Almost regardless of what else they do. Almost, not quite. And Tanev was placed into that category. Well, I mean, he he does pop 12, 14 goals or whatever it is per season, but he's going around hitting people, and that's a mistake because you should be focused on possession. Never mind that Tanev was pretty good at gaining the puck off of his checks and did very little flat out running around to use the hockey vernacular. Tana is just a really good hockey player, a really solid penalty killer, and yeah, he will pop you some goals. And in Seattle where he was going to get more of a chance to do more, you know front liney type things, he scored even more. Ron Francis did a lot of licking of the lips heading into that expansion draft. But I can promise you that two of the players that had him most excited to pop up onto his available list were Tanev and Jared McCann. And you can thank Ron Hextall and Brian Burke for both of those guys being available because neither needed to be. Want me to remind you that Jeff Carter and Teddy Bluger were on those lists? Meaning the protected list? So, yeah, again, this is why... I stress all the time just keeping an open mind, being objective. And that includes telling me that I'm full of it. You know, think for yourself. When a group of people all within one community claims that there's only one way to play the game and that there's only one way to evaluate a player, and now it's gotten even more grossly simplified where they put out these cards That just have a great big number in the top left corner and you go, whoa, that guy stinks. He's a 71 or whatever. Look at some of the players that they've got graded into the 90s up near 100 and you'll see how incredibly flawed this is, but no one ever questions it. In a community that's supposed to espouse objectivity, no one ever says, hey, hang on a second. This guy's really not that good. Can we at least discuss this a little bit? Or is everything going to be about shots on goal or attempted shots on goal or missed shots on goal? I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We're going to be back with another one Monday.